Have you got your keys? I bet you have. We, uh, we started last week to look at four keys to a better life. And uh, of course, last week we, we uh, looked at the first key. And the first key from Proverbs chapter 3 is that if we pay attention to the thing that's most important, our relationship with Jesus, then the reward for that is that we'll live a full and complete life and know uh, his provision in every part of our lives. doesn't mean we'll have everything we want. That's not the point. But the point is our lives will be full and complete with no wasted uh, parts in it. Well, today we want to look at the second key from Proverbs chapter 3. Second key to a better life. And I want to start out by asking the question, if you know the seven ages of man, not women, in this case it's men. Do you know what the seven ages of men are? They go like this. The first age is spills, that's the baby stage. The second age is drills, that's the child stage apparently. The third stage is thrills, that's adolescent. The fourth stage is bills, that's when you become a parent. The next stage is ills, that's when you hit middle age. After that comes pills, when you hit old age. And then of course the last stage of all is wills. You know what happens then, don't you? I, I, as I thought about this, I realised that from spills, the baby stage, to thrills, the adolescent stage, there's not a lot to worry about, is there? My father used to say to me, school are the best years of your life, you've got nothing to worry about. And as I look back, I realised he was right. There's absolutely nothing to worry about. But then when you get to the bill stage, when you've got responsibilities, family to take care of, work to go to, and, and all the way up until the wills stage, there's a lot to worry about, isn't there? There's a lot to get stressed over. A and some of us are really good at it. Some of us get really stressed over all sorts of things. There's, of course, the family to worry about. There's our work. Often our work is a cause of stress. There's the future, what's going to happen in the future. There's our finances. You know, these kids cost a lot of money, as you probably know already. And, and if we're not careful, our lives become shaped by our stresses and our worries. If we're not careful, then the whole course of our lives becomes shaped by our stresses and it worries. And added to that often, for many of us, there's the added pressure of not really knowing how to live right, if we're really honest. We get to those situations in life where we're not really sure what we should do. I remember someone saying, you know, when you're a, a young person, when you're a child, you don't really think your father knows much at all. You get to a teenager and then you're absolutely convinced he knows nothing at all. And then when you get to about 40 or 50, you realise actually... I wish he was still around because he did know a lot and now I don't know much at all and I wish I could ask him. There's that element of life for many of us that uh, we're just unprepared for. We're not sure what decisions we ought to make and all of that adds to the stress 
and worry of life. But I've got good news for you. I've been searching online and I found a site that has seven steps to a stress-free life. Isn't that good news? Then I searched a little bit further and I found another site that had 10 steps to a stress-free life. Then, as I kept searching and, and looking, I found another website that had 15 ways to minimise your stress. And then there's another site with 20 steps to a stress-free life. And as I read all this, I thought, man, this is even more confusing and stressful than the stress itself. <laughs> but actually, I do have good news. I've got better news. It's not as hard as all that. It's actually quite easy. And this is the second key that we're going to look at to a better life. And as I've suggested in the title that I put in the newsletter. This key is the key that unlocks straight paths and a stress-free life. Doesn't that sound good? Straight paths and a stress-free life. I want to read from uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, and starting at verse 5, and, and as soon as I begin, you'll have seen these verses quoted. You might have them written up on your bathroom mirror or somewhere. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your bones, uh, to your body and nourishment to your bones. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these keys that you've put in your word to help us live better lives, to help us as we walk with you so that our lives will be better, so that they'll be more in tune with how you planned our lives to be. Help us, Lord, as we look at these keys to grasp the principle that you're passing on to us so that we can live the lives that you've planned for us in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1555, a date which I'm sure none of you remember, uh, a fellow by the name of Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake because of his witness for Jesus. In those days, if you uh, had a biblical faith that was contrary to the accepted belief of the church at, at the time, chances are you'd get burned at the stake. Nicholas Ridley was one of those. Uh, outspoken in his gospel message for people to turn to Jesus, so he was sentenced to death to be burned at the stake. On the night before he was executed, his brother came to his cell and he said, would you like me to stay here the night with you and just keep your company in uh, before tomorrow's execution? You know what Nicholas Ridley said? He said, thank you, but no thank you. Tonight I plan to go to bed and sleep as peacefully as I've ever slept before. Do you know why? Because he knew God's peace. He'd lived with God's peace through his life and he knew that on this last night of his on earth he can enjoy the peace of God just as he'd enjoyed it every other day of his life. You know, as I read through the New Testament, I read similar stories to that. Peter, for example... Acts chapter 12. 
we're told that uh, King Herod had started to arrest some of the apostles and when he arrested James and had James put to death he realized that the people enjoyed the spectacle of this something about a blood sport that gets people excited but anyway he decided that while he was on a good thing he'd keep arresting the other apostles to uh, put them to death as well so he arrested Peter and we're told in Acts chapter 12 that on the night before he was to die Peter was in the prison chained up between two guards and you know what we're told he was asleep would you be sleeping on that night if you knew that tomorrow you were about to lose your head or something else important if you knew that tomorrow was going to be your last breath on earth would you be inclined to sleep well Peter was and the story goes on it's a miraculous rescue actually an angel of the Lord comes and rescues Peter but he had to really shake Peter to wake him up he had to rouse him out of sleep and we're told that as as the angel was doing this Peter uh, after some minutes came to himself finally woke up he was really asleep fancy that on the night before he was to be put to death Peter was asleep. I wonder where he learnt that from. Well, there's a story in uh, Mark chapter 4, actually, of Jesus doing almost the same thing. Jesus with his disciples in a boat in the middle of the lake uh, with a fierce storm blowing up, so much so that the disciples were afraid the boat was going to sink. And where was Jesus? In the back of the boat asleep. You see, there's something peaceful about Jesus, knowing that in the midst of this frantic storm, he can rest. He can be at peace in God's presence. Peter learnt that lesson very well by Acts chapter 12, and he understood that even though this may well be his last night on earth, yet he can know God's peace and rest in God's peace. But you know, it wasn't always like that for Peter. You read numerous stories of where Peter um, starts out with good intentions but ends up usually putting his foot in his mouth or something else like that in uh, Matthew chapter 14 I think it is is the story of Jesus walking to the disciples on the water the disciples are already uh, well out into the middle of the lake in their boat and it's a stormy night again and Jesus comes to them walking on the water and Peter says to Jesus if it's really you tell me to come out and walk on the water towards you and so Jesus said come so Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on the water but then the story tells us that he noticed the wind and the waves and he began to sink you see there comes a point in everyone's life and certainly in Peter's life where we've got to start to trust the point of that story of Peter walking on the water is so long as he looked towards Jesus and focused on him he was right but the moment he saw what was going on around him with the wind and the waves and his focus went off Jesus he began to sink and that happens to us more times than we can count and from this story of Peter and from the story of Nicholas Ridley and from the story of Jesus sleeping in the boat and from what we know about our own lives what I want to say this morning is there comes a point when we need to trust. We've got to trust. 
But you know, as well as I do, that trust can be a problem. Trust comes with its own issues. We've all probably experienced trusting someone only to have that trust broken. I remember years and years ago I trusted someone and it cost me two and a half thousand dollars. We've all had similar stories of people that we've trusted who've let us down. And maybe you've had episodes in your life where you think you've trusted God and God has let you down. We know from his word, we know from everything we know about God that he'll never let us down. But maybe it felt like that to you. Maybe it felt like that trust that you'd put in him had been broken. But certainly we, we understand this issue of broken trust. So trust, although it's easy for me to stand here and say at some point we need to trust, and everyone will say, yes, that's true, but in the back of our minds we all know Broken trust, it's not easy to regain, is it? It's not easy to trust again if you've experienced broken trust. But you know, for all the problems that broken trust brings, not trusting brings worse problems. You ever think about that? Not trusting brings far worse problems. There's two that are mentioned in this passage that I want to just leave with you. The first is fear. No trust always produces fear. And you know, you can use that as a little gauge. You know, when I was at school learning to do maths, uh, multiplication, for example, we were always taught that if you did the uh, equation backwards and still got the same answer, you were right. And so it is with this. If you take this backwards, You'll know what's right. So if no trust produces fear, if you've got fear, guess what that means? No trust. No trust. In verse 7, the second half of verse 7 that we read uh, a moment ago, it says to us, fear the Lord and shun evil. Now there's both a warning to us and an instruction to us in that fear the Lord and shun evil. That phrase, fear the Lord, you, you find it a lot throughout the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, but it's also through the New Testament as well. It's kind of got a mystery meaning, if you like. There's both the sense of being afraid, but there's also the sense of reverence and awe. And fear the Lord is a combination of being afraid and of reverence for and awe of. Now Peter, for example, was walking on the water. What happened to him? Of course, the story tells us that he looked around and he saw the wind and the waves and he became afraid. Stopped trusting, became afraid. Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 8 says, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Why are you so afraid? Jesus says that again and again, Oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? You see, fear and lack of trust, for some reason, always go hand in hand. So one of the... One of the... Uh, problems that you're going to find 
if you're not prepared to trust, is that fear is going to enter your life. We're told throughout particularly the Proverbs and the Psalms that uh, the fear of the Lord is also the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. And in this sense, that phrase, the fear of the Lord, is an instruction. It's telling us what to do. If you want to know wisdom and you want to know knowledge, if you want to know the hatred of evil, then the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. So not only is it a, a warning to us, no trust will produce fear, but it's also an instruction. You want to learn wisdom, you want to learn knowledge, you want to know what it is to hate evil, then fear of the Lord. And it's this combination of being afraid for someone who's much more powerful than we are, and also for reverence and awe for this God who's above all and created everything there is. One of the results of no trust is fear. What about the other result? The other result that we're told about in this passage is anxiety. It's that stress again. Remember we started talking about that? If if we're not prepared to trust, not only will we begin to fear, but we'll become anxious. Proverbs 12:25 says, "An anxious heart weighs one down." Think about that. An anxious heart weighs one down. There are lots of other proverbs uh, verses through the Proverbs that talk about rottenness in the bones and uh, you know, which are just references to ill health and other problems that we get physically, all coming as a result of anxiety in the heart. No trust will produce fear, and no trust will produce anxiety. Now, in this passage, the main focus is on anxiety, stress, if you like. So that's where we're going to head as we look at this passage. Now, I want to say, as, we, as I said a moment ago, at some point, We've got to start trusting. But I want to make this point first. You know, there's a difference between believing and trusting. When my brother got married, our youngest brother, he and his wife went on their honeymoon to New Zealand. And we heard back that one of the things they did while they're in, they were in New Zealand, actually one of the things his wife did while they were in New Zealand, was go bungee jumping. My brother did what I would do. Don't blame me if anything goes wrong. She went bungee jumping. He stood and watched, held the, the bags. Now, I believe in bungee jumping. I believe that I've seen it on TV, so I believe in it. I, you know, you put a cord on your leg and you jump off a bridge and it stops you before you hit the bottom. I believe that. I've seen it. I know people that have done it and they've lived to tell the story, but there is no way in this life that I'm going to jump off a perfectly good bridge because I don't trust the person that's tying the strap on. And I don't trust the strap. Have they measured how long it needs to be? You know, if it's half an inch too long, maybe that's just too long. You see these videos of people, you know, touching the water as they get to the bottom. And I've seen videos of people hitting the ground. Well, knowing my luck, you know, this much extra on the bungee cord would probably mean 
head and shoulders into the dirt or something. I believe in it, but I don't trust it. There's no way I'm going to do it. You know, you can be like that with God. It's easy for us to say we believe in God. We sing about how great he is and, and, and we read from every week in our Bibles about the great things that God does and we're all here because we believe that Jesus loves us, that he died for us and that he rose again for us. But do you know that is not the same as trusting him? Trusting Jesus is a bit like the bungee cord. We can say we believe, but that doesn't mean we trust. And we've got to decide, we've got to come to understand and know the difference between believing and trusting. I've had to do that several times through life and realising that uh, just because I believe God can do something and will do something doesn't mean that I trust he's going to do it for me now. Believing and trusting are not all the same. So, we've talked a little bit about trust. We've talked a little bit about the problems of not trusting. We've talked about the difference between believing and trusting. What about the good news? You know, these keys to a better life are, are as I said last week, going to unlock a reward for us. If we use these keys, there's going to be some benefit in it for us. So what's the benefit to this key? Well, verse 6 tells us, this reward, by the way, comes in two parts. The first part of the reward, verse 6, talks about straight paths. It says this, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. I don't know if you've ever picked this up or not, but particularly in the Psalms and the Proverbs, it often talks about ways and paths. Like in this verse, commit your ways into God's hands and he will make your paths straight. There's a lot of verses through Psalms and Proverbs where it talks about ways and paths. And they're not the same thing. They're different things. Usually, and in this case... When the, the, the Proverbs uses the word ways, what it's referring to is the way we live, our actions, the things we do. Commit your actions, the way you live, the stuff you do. Commit that into God's hands and he will make your paths, that's the journey of life. That's the life journey that you're on. He will make your paths straight, the direction of life you take will be straight. Now it doesn't mean that there's not going to be a few twists and turns. Our life journeys had lots of twists and turns. But what the words mean in this proverb is that the obstacles will be removed. And how I like to, I guess, explain it in a way that I can understand it, when uh, we're told that he will make our paths straight, for me, means that he's going to make it easy to follow. And there'll be twists and turns, and there may be things along the way that are, uh, perhaps you have to work your way through, but it'll be easy to follow. And you're not going to find a, a situation in life where you just don't know what to do or which way to go, because as you commit your actions, your ways to God, he's going to make the path straight and easy for you to follow. First part of the reward. 
a life journey that's easier to follow. Wouldn't it be great to have a life journey that's easier to follow? We, we get to situations in life when we don't know what to do. Wouldn't it be good to know what to do in those situations? Commit your ways to the Lord and he'll make your path easier to follow. Second part of the reward, verse 8, a stress-free life. He says that uh, it'll be healing to your body and nourishment to your bones. Doesn't that sound good? Healing to your body and nourishment to your bones. Your bones, of course, are on the inside. That's the bit that no one sees. And, and you know, when there's something going wrong on the inside, we don't feel good on the outside either. And eventually, whatever's going on on the inside will show up on the outside and become a problem on the outside as well. But in this promise, we're told that it will be healing to our body and nourishment to our bones. Proverbs 14 and verse 30 says this, A heart at peace gives life to the body. A heart at peace gives life to the body. It's a picture of a body that's unaffected by stress, unaffected by the worries of life. Do you know everyone generally has the same issues in life to deal with? We all have the same worries. We, we all have the same financial uh, issues to deal with, the same family problems to deal with to one degree or another, the same employment problems that we've got to deal with. We've got to pay our taxes and comply with government regulations. That's the same for everyone. So we all have to deal with the same stuff, generally. But you know, some people do it with the peace of God ruling and reigning in their lives and find it much easier than other people whose lives are controlled and motivated by stress and worry and everything becomes confusing fearful and anxious first part of this reward a life journey that's easy to follow wouldn't that be good second part of the reward stress-free life wouldn't that be great to live life without the worry and stress that's so much a part of life and bodies that are refreshed and renewed because we're living stress-free. Well, that sounds kind of <clears throat> too fantastic to be reality. So what's the key that's going to unlock those rewards? Here it is. Here's the key that's going to unlock those rewards. If you trust God in everything and acknowledge him in all your actions, then your life will be stress-free and your life journey will be easier to follow. If you trust God in everything and acknowledge him in all your actions, then your life will be, your life journey will be easy to follow and stress-free. Sounds good, doesn't it? I remember once having to deliver something to someone and because of the circumstances which I don't fully remember, I was going to leave it in their post box 
and there was kind of some uncertainty about whether I should do this or not. And so I got to the post box and I was about to put this thing in the mailbox. And before I did that, I said, Lord, is this the right thing to do? And you know, I had no peace, none at all. So I took it out and didn't do anything more with it. Later on, I found that that was the wrong post box anyway. Commit your actions, your ways, everything you do, everything you do to the Lord. And the promise is that we'll have a stress-free life and a life journey that's easier to follow. Now, what does that look like to you and to me? What does that look like in real life? Well, I've got three things. You know, I can only count to three. It's kind of the preacher's thing. There's only three points. If you want a better life, here's the first thing. Verse 5. Decide that you're going to trust God with all your heart. All. You know, you can be half alive and half dead. You know that. There are lots of other things you can be half and half, but you can't half trust. Did you ever think about that? Because if you don't fully trust, then you don't trust at all. Isn't that interesting? You either trust or you don't. Like once you've jumped off the bridge, you can't suddenly say, hang on a minute, I don't trust quite this much. It's either you trust and jump or you don't trust at all and you don't jump. And for all of us, we're all at different stages in life. We're all at different uh, stages in our walk with Jesus. And somebody who's just starting out on their journey with Jesus, of course their trust is going to be small. And, and trusting God with what seems like a small thing to another person might be a huge deal for that new baby Christian. But, and, and as you get older and more mature in the Lord, you start to trust him for bigger and bigger things. But the issue is the same. At some point, you've got to let go of the safety rail, jump off the bridge, and whether the drop is six inches or six metres or 60 metres, the point is you've got to let go and trust at some point. That's a whole heart. You see, if you don't trust with a whole heart, you don't trust at all. We've got to trust with a whole heart, letting go of the safety rail. I remember years and years ago when we were uh, newly married, we were living uh, in our house out at the farm where Danny and Ellie are living now. And I can remember for some reason, and I don't remember what started it, but I can remember that I'd become fearful. And I can remember many times lying in bed at night, eyes wide awake, hearing the night noises as you do. A and when you're on a farm, um, when it's quiet, and you do hear a noise, it's kind of odd, so you listen for it. And I can remember many, many nights lying there too afraid to go to sleep because of what I thought I'd heard, somebody coming in the back gate, a car pulling up outside. And I remember this was becoming a life-controlling issue for me. And I'd prayed about it many times. Lord, I've got to break through this fear. What can I do to break this hold of fear on my life? And I remember one night... Lying in bed, it was probably about 10 or 10.30 or something. It wasn't extremely late. 
And hearing a car drive past the house and suddenly my eyes wide open, cold sweat starting to break out. And as I listen, you know, you start to imagine you hear noises. I started to imagine I could hear the gate opening and start to imagine I can hear footsteps and too, too afraid to get out of bed and go and have a look. And I remember lying there saying, Lord, is there anything I need to be worried about right now? And he said, no, there isn't. Nothing to be worried about. And so I lay there, eyes wide open, and I thought to myself, did I really hear God just now? Or did I make that up? What if I did make it up? What if I did really hear from God? Well, if I did really hear from God, what does that mean now? And I remember thinking to myself, if I did really hear from God, do I believe what he said and I, well, yes, I always believe what God says. And then I thought to myself, well, if I believe what he says, what should I do next? If I really trusted God, what should I do next? And I thought, well, if I really trusted God, I'd probably roll over and go to sleep. So do you know what I did? I rolled over and went to sleep. And do you know what? Of course, there are situations when I've had that flash of fear that you get, but those problems are gone. At some point, you've got to take God at his word and trust with a whole heart. We've got to let go of the safety rail and trust. Here's the second thing that it means for you. Verse, second part of verse 5 and then verse 7. We've got to decide that it's not all about us. Do you notice what he says in those verses? Don't lean on your own understanding. Gee, that's hard to do, isn't it? Because we think we know so much. We think we know everything. We think we've got all our own answers. And it's so easy for us to say, well, I think, and then act accordingly instead of saying, God says, so I'm going to trust him. Don't lean on your own understanding. And then in verse 7, it says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Gee, that's hard for us to do, isn't it? Because we're the smartest people we know. It's so hard for us to put our own earthly wisdom aside and trust God, who, in all honesty, we can't see. We can't, you know, neatly define. We don't know exactly what he's doing in any given moment. We can only trust but you know, there's something opposite about leaning on your own understanding and being wise in your own eyes as opposed to trusting God. Your understanding and your wisdom is opposite to trusting God. There have been countless stories from Christians all through history who've trusted God for some crazy harebrained thing and it's turned out to be world-changing. In our own wisdom and in our own understanding, we'd never think of doing stuff like that. But you know, there's something arrogant about us that thinks we know better. It tells us also, in verse 7, to fear the Lord and shun evil. Now we've already spoken about fear the Lord, but what about the shun evil? Do you know what the evil is in this context? The evil is being wise in your own understanding. Fancy that. 
That's the evil that we're to shun, our own understanding and our own uh, being wise in our own minds. Because that is opposed to trusting God. Decide that you're going to trust God with all your heart. Decide that it's not all about you. Third thing, last part of verse 7. Decide that you're going to fear God more than any obstacles that come your way. Fear God and shun evil. Decide that you're going to fear God more than any obstacles that come your way. Remember Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the soul and burn it forever in, in hell. Do you remember when Jesus said those things? There's someone who's got greater power and authority than earthly powers and authorities who can all they can do is kill the body. There's nothing that you're going to face in life that's greater than God. And his judgment is going to be greater than any earthly judgment that you might face. And his victory over obstacles is going to be greater than any obstacle that you might face as well. Recognise and decide that you're going to fear God more than the obstacles. Now, I did a little bit of a search just through Proverbs and I just want to give you a few, this is just a handful, it's not selected in any order, just a handful of things that the Bible says about the fear of the Lord. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want to know stuff? Then fear God. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. You want to break sin's hold on your life? Fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord adds length to life. You want to live a long life? Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord teaches one wisdom. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And there are more. The fear of the Lord is over and above any obstacle that you're going to face in life. So decide that you're going to be more afraid of God, that you're going to fear God instead of. Now remember... That phrase, the fear of the Lord, is both to be afraid, but also to reverence. It's just knowing who has the most power and who has the final say. So, if you want a better life, key number two, trust God in everything and acknowledge him in all your actions. And the promise is, your life will be stress-free, and your journey will be easier to follow. Sound good? Sound all right? Sound like something we can do? So, a couple of questions. What practical things do you need to trust God for right now? Practical things. You know, when I was working, there was a guy there trying to give up smoking. That's a practical thing. Not easy to do, I know. It's a practical thing to trust God for. What actions do you need to acknowledge God in? It's very easy for us to just run along with life, living and acting the way we do, and never remember that we've got to submit these actions to God. So what practical things 
do you need to trust God for? And what actions do we need to submit to him? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and for the keys, the promises that are contained in it. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us these things for our benefit so that we can live a better life in you. And Lord, I pray as we've spoken about trust and a stress-free life this morning, that you'd quicken that to us, that we'd be able to let go of the safety rail and trust you with all our heart so that we might enter into the stress-free life you promise. doesn't mean there won't be issues in our life, but we know, Lord, that when you take care of them, we don't have to worry about them. So, Father, I want to pray for each person here. There are likely to be practical things in each person's life, Lord, that they need to trust you for. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to do that. Help them to let go of the safety rail and trust you with that thing. There are likely to be people, Lord, who need to submit their actions to you, to commit their ways, their actions into your hands. Pray, Lord, that you'd quicken that to them as well so that as we trust you fully with all our heart, we might enter into this life that you promised that's stress-free and that's easy for us to follow. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you'd quicken it to us in Jesus' name. Amen.